This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. The 9th to the 15th of October is Dyspraxia Week, which aims to raise awareness around what dyspraxia actually is and how we can help those with it. Rosine Ress is an occupational therapist at Bella Vista School, and she joins me now to tell me more. Rosine, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me today. Rosine, we've heard about, we know about dyslexia, we know if you listen to the show about dyscalculia, we know about ADD. H, why do we not know that much about dyspraxia? Um, so I think, you know, dyspraxia goes by many different names, um, and that's important, you know, so there's different terminology, and it often depends, you know, what the background of the person who's making that diagnosis so we talk about dyspraxia, but we also talk about motor planning difficulties. Um, and then also more formally, which is diagnosed by the DSM-5, is the developmental coordination disorder. Um, and sometimes, you know, you also refer to children who have clumsy um, child syndrome. Um, so that's why sometimes it goes by different names. So what exactly is dyspraxia? You know, I think it describes it best when one child said to me, it's that difficulty of actually getting my body to do what it needs to do. Um, so dyspraxia, if we look at what praxis is, praxis is doing. Um, and, um, you know, it's divided into three different parts. So we have to have the idea of what we need to do, the actual planning of what we have to do, and then carrying it out. So the breakdown can happen at, at different parts, and that becomes the dyspraxia. Um, and it can have, you know, various impacts on gross motor skills, fine motor skills. But really where it becomes, you know, the problem of the diagnosis is when it impacts function. And what kind of function does it impact? So you know, speaking from, you know, Bella Vista perspective, we talk about children. Um, so it impacts often their learning. Um, it impacts when we talk about gross motor skills. So, you know, climbing the jungle gym, um, getting dressed, getting organized, um, handwriting can be difficult. So it impacts on a, on a kind of varied um, levels. Um, and as I said, we have to see where that breakdown occurs and where it affects them. But when we talk about, um, as I mentioned, it's often referred to as that developmental coordination disorder, is that it's developmental in nature. So it starts and you pick it up when children are quite young, um, and it really has to impact their function, and it can't be explained by any other neurological or any other kind of difficulty that's impacting um, their movement in different areas. So you take away any other kind of cause that it could be, and if there's nothing else, then then it's um, d- dyspraxia. Rosina, I take it like with all the other kind of um, developmental problems, there's a spectrum. And that people find themselves at some other level of the spectrum and maybe they're more functional or less functional. How does that spectrum work? So 100%, there's definitely a spectrum. And I think, you know, it's it's a pervasive disorder that it can affect different aspects of one's life. But if it's diagnosed and treated and given strategies, then it impacts an individual differently and less. So it can, you know, really impact them um, in terms of, there was one child who I remember watching them at a swimming lesson, you know, where they'll jump in the pool and actually not know how to coordinate their arms and their legs. Um, and, you know, or it can impact them to the point where they just can't get themselves organized in terms of getting dressed in the morning, but by giving them the strategies, putting their clothes out the night before, teaching them what to do, um, you know, often the, 
the parent will say, my child just can't tie their shoelaces and we can work on it or we can give them the Velcro shoes. So I think it depends, you know, how much, um, how many strategies we put into place, how we support them. Um, and I think, you know, when you're talking about it, we look at kind of labeling it, but the label is not to kind of, um, that it should stop us from functioning, but the label should enable us to understand why a person, because it, you know, it carries on to adolescence, adulthood, why things are difficult and what can we do to help that particular person. So it can really impact function to the, you know, to the point where that people can't actually do their activity of their daily lives. Um, but we can, you know, try, you know, for example, a child might do better on a device versus handwriting because it is so difficult um, and things like that. So, yeah, and it's, again, you know, it can affect them at sports, but sometimes it's choosing what sports are easier for that child to do. Um, and, you know, what? you mentioned the labeling, and I'm pleased you did, because uh, certainly when we were growing up, we didn't know about OT, we didn't know about physio, you know, you just happened to be a little bit more clumsy, or it took you a little bit longer, or you couldn't do maths, or your writing was a little bit awkward. Um, in terms of labeling, are the label, have the labels always been there, and we're just now better at applying them so we can help, or are we creating labels as we go along? But I think once you once you name it, then you can understand it and then you can work with it. So, um, you know, sometimes, as I said, people can hold on to that label. I remember working with a child and both the child and the parent, oh, my child just can't do this or I can't do this because I'm dyspraxic. Um, and they wouldn't even try. And it, I think that impacts their function even more. But sometimes when you actually have an understanding of, of what your difficulty is, then it helps, you know, dealing with that frustration tolerance to actually say, you know, I have, you know, dyspraxia and that's why it's difficult for me to do X, Y, and Z. But, you know, that this is why I need to change. Um, and that's where sort of the OTs come along is that we try and give strategies. So we try and either modify the task or modify the environment or advocate for the child. Um, you know, so it's, it's very much working as a team to see how we can, um, help the child or the person, you know, function better in their daily lives. So I think that's why it's really important. And, you know, just dyspraxia or developmental coordination disorder can coexist with other difficulties. So often children will have sensory component. There might be um, an attention, an ADHD component. So I think sometimes, you know, that's, it's so important that we can label it so we understand it, but then we can manage it. Um, and we shouldn't, it shouldn't hinder us from, from participating in everyday life. So in preparation for this, I looked up dyspraxia because I, I didn't know what it was. And I saw um, a lot of websites have been de- de- uh, devoted to the topic. And there was one that had good news stories. And it had <clears throat> a lot of adults sharing their experiences at school and saying how they've overcome it and actually not only overcome it, but gone on to do really, really well. And I suppose that's what awareness is trying to do with the whole point of the week. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, where, um, and I think, you know, we live in a, in a world and a community where things are different and people are prepared to, to change and to accommodate and to, um, find solutions for the problems where maybe, you know, many years ago we didn't have kind of the technology that we can use. Um, so I think it is, it's definitely creating, creating the awareness and also to know where to turn to. 
and that's, you know, I feel, you know, very grateful that you've asked me to speak is that we, we have occupational therapists in the community. We have specifically at Bella Vista Share that I can speak, um, from, you know, at Bella Vista School, we work with the children who are here, but we have an assessment unit as well. Um, and we have an education, which is the share division of the school where we run a lot of courses for um, educators or parents or anybody working in the space just to come and learn more because the more we equipped to help the child or the adolescent or the adult function, the better it is for everybody. So it's not something that can be so-called cured, and I hate that expression, but just for argument's sake, but can be managed. You're never going to not be dyspraxic if you are. Yes. Yeah. Often it, it will stay, um, you know, with, with the person as they grow up, but it'll affect them differently. You know, so when a child might, I remember one mom's talking about when a child was small, she said, oh, it was he, he was such a good baby because she just sat there because she actually had dyspraxia and it was difficult for that baby to learn how to crawl, to learn how to grab um, the toy and, and to learn how to play. Um, but once she started on, on that process of therapy, you know, they became to overcome that. And, and each stage, sometimes there's different kind of challenges. And that's why sometimes it can be a long-term journey where you have to, at each stage, see how you can adjust. And that's where we refer back to that spectrum where for some people it doesn't impact them as much as others. And for some it can be really, you know, right throughout life that they have to think about it, you know, to the point of driving a car, finding their way around, things like that. Rosine, it, it talks to a number of things, you know, um, to, it, obviously people suffering from dyspraxia are not going to be good at sport. So catching a netball or, you know, hitting a cricket ball is not going to be for them. How do, how do you find if you are on the spectrum of just a particularly lousy sports player or, you know, just happen to be clumsy occasionally, how do you identify a child with dyspraxia? So, you know, and that's where I think that the education is so important because often children with dyspraxia, a coping mechanism is to try and not participate. So often, you know, it might be the child who will be on the playground, but they'll stand and chat to the teacher or they'll choose to sit in the, in the sand and play all the water tables and actually not tackle the jungle gym because it's so overwhelming if you think about how am I going to use this equipment. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's, it's actually, it's picking up, oh, this child has difficulty and it's often you'll pick them up in the school concert when everybody's going to the right, they're going to the left or they can't get the steps right. But it's also actually looking for the child who doesn't participate. And, um, you know, for the, it's much easier sometimes, oh, it's just so difficult. I can't do it. And they're actually not being lazy or difficult. They actually just can't because it's that whole, you know, thinking, you know, the simple task of actually going to fetch something or do something, they've actually got to think, well, where have I got to go? What do I have to do? How must I position my body? Um, how much force must I use? Um, and then they've actually got to, you know, carry that out. And that's quite difficult. So that's why it's so important to actually pick up, you know, maybe what's stopping this child from participating or actually seeing them trying to participate and they just can't get it right. And that's why I think it's also important where we look at holistically at the child because it really can affect the emotional um, well-being. It can affect their behavior. The child who gets frustrated because they actually just can't manage to carry out that activity that they're needing to do. It can affect them socially because they can't participate um, in what everybody else is doing. And that's why I think it's so important, you know, within schools or in the community that we have different 
um, extramurals and things for children to participate in so that the child who struggles um, on one level can find something which is easier for them to participate in. I think these, for me, just on a personal level, learning about these different developmental things has been so insightful and so kind of, in a way, rewarding because they are, we are in a position now to, to not label children incorrectly we have a correct way to, to describe them and give them that opportunity. If anybody would like to learn more, Rosine, what should they do? So they can contact um, Bella Vista Share. We have a website, which is bellavistashareonline.org.za um, or contact um, Bella Vista School. Um, our number is 011-788-5454. Um, and they can put you in touch. We have a lot of... Um, talks online or in person or just refer you um, for an assessment or somebody in the community that can help you. Um, but I think it's, it's, it is reaching out um, and often it's the, you know, the teachers who can pick it up. It's the parents who can pick it up um, and just to help the children because we want them to become fully functional um, individuals and we can, we can grade equipment that they need to use. We can give them a variety of opportunities. We can advocate for them and especially with technology, um, you know, life can, can really change and become a lot easier. Well, Rosie, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I really enjoyed learning more about dyspraxia and it certainly explains a lot of people I probably grew up with that we, we would have labeled, but not correctly. Uh, so I think these, these conversations are really important. So Rosine Ress, occupational therapist at Bellavista, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day further. Thank you.